Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blowers. And Katrina, have you ever been on a cruise ship? No, I haven't. My mum loves the cruising life. Uh, She's booked so many holidays and it was one of the things that devastated her most during the pandemic is she had all these cruises booked and then they were cancelled. Yeah, wow. You know what? I reckon I could get on board later in life. (laughs) Later in life? Yeah. Why not? Why not in the next couple of years? You've got you've got a bub now, and there's kids club, so that's oh, a big really? bonus. Look, I have hit my forties, but I'm not quite at the cruise ship stage <laughs> yet. But I've heard they're a lot of fun, and there's some pretty good parties as well. Yeah, it is. As you said, in in terms of your mum's reaction to it, it was a very rough period for the cruising industry in the early stages of the pandemic. They were mm. banned for quite some time. They've only just started up again three months ago. The Ruby Princess, that whole moment in time, was it was a pretty iconic moment. Early on in the pandemic, 28 deaths linked to that vessel, thousands of passengers disembarking and then flooding into Sydney. Yeah, now that cruising's coming back, any outbreaks are receiving um, really intense media scrutiny. Case in point is the Coral Princess that was sailing the seas a month ago with 100 cases on board. That same ship is battling a COVID outbreak. Hoping that this doesn't become a floating heartbreak hotel. A 12-day cruise turned into a 14-day nightmare. Yes, Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, you gotta, you got to love that alliteration there. So that's what we're talking about this episode. Are these cruise ships really floating Heartbreak Hotels or are the operators managing the risk in a responsible and effective way? Yeah, you're going to meet a self-confessed cruiseaholic, Shauna, who's been on 20 cruises and hear the industry perspective. First, today's headlines. It's Tuesday, August the 2nd. Swimmer Kyle Chalmers has answered the critics by winning a third Commonwealth gold medal in Birmingham, this time in his main event, the 100-metre freestyle. I'm grateful that I was able to block it out enough to stand up and win tonight, but I hope this is a learning point for everyone and, you know, where no one else has to go through what I've had to go through the last couple of days. So that's Chalmers speaking on Seven. At the end of the swim, he put his uh, index finger up to his lips, giving the shush signal, which seemed like a very clear symbol that he was silencing the critics um, with his performance, which is the best way to do it. Yeah, indeed. Put your money where your mouth is. Uh, Yesterday, we reported on Chalmers' fight with the media over intrigue into his previous relationship with Emma McKeon, who's now dating the former pop star Cody Simpson. Awkwardly, Simpson is also competing at the Commonwealth Games. Well, yeah, I guess it's not awkward, though, that Simpson performed pretty well overnight. He won a spot Mm. in the final of the 100-metre butterfly, so that's a great result for him. But the the big story here is actually Emma McKeon. Her performance has been unbelievable. She's officially become the most decorated Australian Commonwealth athlete ever, overtanking Ian Thorpe, Susie O'Neill and Liesl Jones after picking up her 11th gold medal. Yeah, so she is clearly not letting any media gossip slow her down. Very classy performance indeed. There's also been more gold in the velodrome with another great follow-up story from yesterday when we told you about Matthew Glatzer being stripped of a bronze medal for coming too close to another rider. Now, overnight, he's come from behind to win a stunning gold in the men's 1,000-metre time trial. I'm surprised I went that fast, to be honest. Just a credit to show that no matter what happens, you can always go again.
Yeah, that's Glater on Channel 7, an amazing result. And Australia is still leading the medal tally, notching up 64 medals, including 26 gold. We may have passed the peak of the Omicron wave. COVID-19 case numbers are falling around the country following the deadliest month of the pandemic. So it looks like Victoria peaked last Tuesday, New South Wales on Thursday, Queensland over the weekend. Whilst nationally cases have been falling since July 24, which is nine days ago, the latest daily national case number was 28,000 with 4,900 people in hospital with COVID. So all this comes as the federal government formulates a plan to tackle long COVID. We are going to need to develop a focused response nationally. That's the Health Minister, Mark Butler, and I think that'll be welcome news to anyone suffering long COVID. Oh, the Reserve Bank is expected to hike rates again today. Economists are expecting the cash rate will be increased by 50 basis points, taking rates to a six-year high of 1.85%. And the tone in your voice uh, makes it sound like you have a big mortgage, um, (laughs) which many of us do, um, myself included. So um, all up, this will be four rate increases in four months. That's the first time that's happened since they brought in this inflation targeting system in 1990. So for someone with a mortgage of $800,000, these total interest rate lifts for the last four months will mean their payments have gone up by $770 a month. The Prime Minister's call for a referendum on an Indigenous voice to Parliament is continuing to draw support from some important Indigenous leaders. Yeah, so yesterday we reported that Anthony Albanese over the weekend proposed the wording of the actual referendum question and the three sentences that would be added to the Constitution if the yes vote got up. Last night, prominent Cape York leader Noel Pearson came out and supported the proposal. I think that this is a modest proposition, modest but profound, capable of being consistent with liberal and conservative thinking. That's Noel Pearson on 7.30. I think you'd agree, Tom, that's that's pretty big endorsement mm. right there and, and necessary too. And the former Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, has also told the Nine newspapers he's in support of the initiative. That's a change in position for him. Uh, I believe he was pushing Scott Morrison's version, which was a parliamentary model, but now that he's been voted out, Wyatt is speaking more freely. Yeah, and even the opposition's shadow minister for Indigenous Australians, Julian Lesser, welcomed Albanese's first step over the weekend. Although Lesser's colleague, Jacinta Price, who's a new country Liberal senator from the Northern Territory, she's also Indigenous, um, she's been much more critical. She was asked whether she'd support the referendum on Q&A last night. Probably not. I'll be completely honest and I'll always be honest because there are more pressing issues. So despite that bit of criticism from Jacinta Price, overall, it seems like Albanese is getting a lot of support for actually coming out and leading this process with the words, the actual words that Mm. will be involved here, which is a bold step because they can very quickly be criticised and shot down, but that doesn't seem to be what's happening. A traveller flying in from Bali has been hit with a massive fine after a sniffer dog detected two undeclared sausage and egg McMuffins (laughs) and a ham and cheese croissant in their luggage at Darwin Airport. Ew. Who travels with that in their bag? Come on, it's a bacon and egg McMuffin, (laughs) not a sausage and egg McMuffin. Oh, so this search came amid heightened biosecurity measures that were put in place because of foot and mouth disease. That passenger has just had the most expensive Macca's meal they are ever going to have because they've been fined nearly $2,700. It's a lot more than an order of sausage and egg muffins and it's a hell of a lot more than they would have paid for their airfare to Bali. 
That's Murray Watt, the Agriculture Minister. So last month, the federal government announced a $14 million biosecurity package to try and defend us from foot and mouth disease, which has been spreading in Indonesia. All right. And just a message to you, if you're new to the briefing, um, we'd love to have you with us every day as we bring you the headlines into your feed at 6am plus a deep dive interview. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or another podcast app, please hit subscribe. And um, yeah, we'd love to keep you updated on what's happening in the news in this 20 minute bite-sized podcast. Uh, Coming up next, we're looking into the cruising industry in a COVID era. Okay, Tom, let's talk about cruise ships and whether the COVID risks are being managed properly. Are the COVID fears on board overblown? All right, we're catching up with Shauna. So she's the cruiseaholic and we actually spoke to her on the briefing before in April 2020s, one of our early episodes. At that point, she'd been on 20 cruises all up and was already keen to start booking again just a month after the Ruby Princess outbreak and the 28 deaths that were linked to it. And the interesting thing about Shauna is that she's also a healthcare worker. Yeah, since then she's had 16 cancellations but still has 11 cruises booked and she's going to set sail again in October. Shauna, for people listening who don't quite understand why someone like yourself has so much passion for cruising, what is it you love about cruising? Cruising is just so accepting of everyone, whether you're a family, uh, a couple, or like myself, quite often a solo traveller. You can do as much as you like or as little as you like on board. There's awesome destinations to go to or just the fun parties and just trying all the different cuisines. I'm pretty a boring eater, but you know I do go out of my comfort zone and try different foods and there's cocktails on board. <laughs> need, need, need I say more? <laughs> well, I remember from speaking to you in 2020, for you it was yeah. a lot about social connection and it was a really nice way for you to express yourself. You enjoyed the dress-up parties and meeting new people. Absolutely, yep. And through the powers of Facebook, been meeting new people uh, since COVID. Some of these uh, cruiselings, as we call them, are going to be on board some of the cruises that I do have booked. I've got a total of 11 booked. Wow. I've had 16 cancellations, but I've got 11 booked. So, Shauna, in 2020, I think most people were still reeling from the Ruby Princess incident. And you, as you said, were booking cruises again. You'll be going pretty soon. Weren't you worried about getting COVID? I'm still working in a hospital setting, so I myself am very vigilant about all the protocols around COVID and just general infection control. I use public transport to get to work, so I've got to be masked up for that. So for me, it's second nature. And P and I have got the policy where you're meant to be wearing a mask, unless you've got a legal exemption, of course, at all times, except in your own cabin or if you're consuming food or drink. So I have no problem with that. You know, if it means that you can keep cruising, yep, everyone can have the choice of having great cruising memories down the track, you know, but if people come on and they're sick and they deny it and or they don't wear masks and that, they're the ones that are going to make it worse for everyone else. So yeah. in how many parts of the ship will you have to wear a mask and will that kill the vibe a little bit for you? 
No, it won't for myself because every day at work I'm wearing a mask, so it's no different for me. You've definitely got to wear them in lifts, in the theatre if you can't socially distance, and when you're not physically eating or drinking. I mean, I get the sense from you, Shauna, that your favourite part is the dance floor. You like the parties, Um, so I don't imagine you're masking up at that point. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching people dance. We have a Gatsby night on board and just watching the guys dressed up to the nines, the ladies, you know, frocked up with their feathers and their sequins and gorgeous headpieces and doing all the beautiful dances from the era, you know, it's fantastic. And there's me, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm getting uncoordinated just looking at it and I'm not even moving. <laughs> that was Shauna. So... Katrina, does all that talk about, you know, the Great Gatsby parties, does that get you more interested in cruising or less? Well, I I hate dress up, so that doesn't appeal to me, but the cocktails do. So, you know, maybe I can be one over on that front. All right. Well, let's get the cruising industry perspective. David Jones is a spokesperson. He's the head of corporate communications for Carnival Cruises, who manage the Coral Princess and the Ruby Princess. David, thank you so much for joining us. Relative to the trade the cruising industry in Australia was doing pre-pandemic, how far has it bounced back? Well, what you're seeing at the moment is um, the rebuilding of Australia's $5 billion a year cruise industry. So we've now reached a point where we can say with some confidence that the um, the 2022-23 summer cruise season that's coming will be very close to being what we refer to as near normal uh, with the number of ships back and the uh, the number of people uh, cruising again, because we always knew that there was a vast reservoir of people who uh, had cruised previously and wanted to get back on the water. That is an extraordinary recovery for an industry that I think, in terms of publicity, copped it quite hard, especially during those early days of the pandemic. What do you attribute to this turnaround? Is it just that there are these diehard people who love cruising? You can attribute it to a couple of things, uh, but certainly in large measure to those diehards, those people who love cruising and know uh, the product and know how careful the product has always been in looking after their interests. But it's also the uh, the fact that the industry and governments, uh, I might say, have done the work. Over the past more than two years, uh, federal and state authorities have worked with the cruise industry to develop protocols that are now underpinning the return of cruising. And of course, we've also got the example of what's happening overseas where we're a bit late to the party in a sense because you know cruising has resumed in um, overseas markets such as the US and the UK and parts of Asia you know more than a year ago so we've got the example of what was done overseas so they're the three elements the um, the enthusiasm of the and confidence of the diehards the work that has been done uh, with protocols in Australia and also the example that we've, we've got from overseas. Okay, so let's talk about these protocols. They're called the Eastern Seaboard Cruise Protocols, essentially four main things. Um, you've got to be fully vaccinated. The second one is undergoing testing and screening before boarding the cruise. Third one, wearing masks when boarding and disembarking. And then the fourth is self-isolating for seven days when you test positive. So how do these protocols work and is that just the baseline do you even go further to protect um, your cruisers well they're effective and have been effective and um, i think what's given people a lot of confidence to come back is knowing that they're on board a vessel with people who like them are vaccinated um, that's uh, been a confidence booster but uh, encouraging people to keep uh, socially distance has also worked and that applies not only 
on arrival at the uh, the terminal or disembarking. It also applies on board the ship. Uh, you know, guests are encouraged to do some pretty basic things, such as uh, you know wearing a mask when they can't socially isolate, and also uh, uh, regularly washing their hands. And anybody who's been on a cruise ship knows that um, in every hallway, every location, you, you'll find hand sanitizers. On uh, ships, you'll find um, wash basins where people, before they enter a restaurant, can wash their hands and those sorts of things. So the emphasis on, uh, on health and well-being is very strong. Okay, so a lot of these protocols seem to be put to the test um, when the Coral Princess sailed up and down the East Coast last month. There was a lot of media reporting about this ship with a COVID outbreak pulling into Eden, Sydney, Brisbane, even though those media reports made it sound kind of scary about these passengers disembarking, when you looked at the cases, it was around 100 and there were over 2,000 people on board. It was 5% of passengers roughly and most of those cases were staff. Do you think people were right to be concerned by that ship coming into their ports? I don't and I think the uh, the people of Eden showed that they weren't either. You know, Eden's actually one of the landmark um, destinations around the country. It's a bit like Airly Beach in Queensland where the community has really embraced cruising because they know of the economic benefits that uh, having uh, cruise tourism visitors coming to their town has for uh, for their region. So when uh, the ship went into Eden, uh, you couldn't find um, a, a negative word about it because they were just delighted to have um, cruise tourism back. And for people who go cruising, getting on a ship and taking a cruise that is part of living their life again. And the protocols are making it so that they can do it, uh, but taking a real-life approach to where we are, where we are at in uh, resuming our normal lives uh, in, the, in the new environment. That ship still had a lot more than the overall population. Do you think people have to be willing to accept that there, there probably will be some, a higher level of COVID cases on a cruise ship than the general population? What they can accept is that everything that can be done is being done to keep them safe and that those protocols are effective. And what they can also uh, recognise is that the standards that now apply on board uh, cruise ships are higher than they'll find in their mainstream shoreside life. So, uh, for example, uh, we're talking about going to shopping malls, going into, into clubs, going into uh, uh, theatres, going into restaurants. Uh, you could equally make a suggestion that uh, the numbers there could be higher than the general population of people who, who don't go into those venues. So what's happening really is that people who have been cruising before, let's face it, before the uh, pandemic, more than a million Australians were taking a cruise each year. So you've got a population of people who understand the product, they want the product, and they're prepared to go on board confident in the knowledge that the work has been done to keep them safe. And um, it's also worth pointing out that these Eastern Seaboard uh, cruise protocols, they weren't developed uh, by the industry in isolation. They were actually developed uh, by the federal and state health authorities in uh, New South Wales, Victoria and Queensland. They've got a bit of power behind them, those uh, protocols, and uh, what we've seen is that they're working effectively. That was David Jones from Carnival Cruises. And Tom, you know, I've done some reporting on some of these cruise liners because they have docked into Brisbane. And the interesting thing is all the passengers that we've asked about their experience, even the ones that have had to isolate in their rooms, they've still loved it. So I think sometimes if you haven't been on a cruise, maybe, you know, like I think about buffets and all of that kind of stuff, but that's not really happening on some of the cruise liners. So perhaps perception is very different to reality. I feel bad saying this because David Jones is a corporate communications professional, but that argument did really make sense that he made, that he, he acknowledged there would be greater case 
numbers proportionately compared to the general population, but compared to other risky settings, it was relatively low and it is being managed carefully. I think it really comes down to how well those protocols are actually being enforced and managed in practice. Tomorrow on The Briefing, we're exploring a really interesting solution to problem gambling. Will it actually work? Listener.